0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Corinthians chapter 10,
1: verse 1 to 13. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Hey Melbourne West, it is really good to get to be with you uh, and get to open the Bible with you even from here on the Gold Coast uh, in the middle of a a lockdown and a global pandemic. Uh, Really uh, excited to have the privilege and excited for what I think God wants to challenge us with uh, in this section of 1 Corinthians 10. And so uh, I might pray, it'd be really good to have your Bible open as we look at this uh, and I'm going to ask God to help us to hear his voice uh, and to be shaped by his spirit in this. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, I want to thank you uh, for your word. I want to thank you that you're a God who speaks. I want to thank you that you're a God who is in control of all things, who knows uh, the things that we are feeling, the struggles that we're uh, enduring, uh, and you care of those. But God, I want to thank you that you are uh, still on the throne, uh, that you are still sovereign. And so I just pray that you would open our eyes to see you tonight, uh, and I pray that we might walk away better equipped to love you and to serve you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, It is important in life to learn from your mistakes Uh, and one of the mistakes in my life that I'm yet to really learn from uh, is uh, seemingly innocuous but really annoying. Uh, I'm a person who actually enjoys going shopping, believe it or not. Uh, I don't have the money I would like to spend on things for myself but but I don't mind going out and, and buying clothes and doing those sorts of things and uh, but one particular aspect of clothes shopping continues to haunt me, um, and that is shopping for jeans. Uh, I don't know if uh, that's something that brings you joy, uh, and I don't even know what it is about it that intimidates me so much, but when I go shopping for jeans, uh, I get it wrong every time. I, I go and I'm nervous. Uh, it's a big deal to try and try jeans on and you know, to look at yourself in the mirror. And so what happens is, uh, every time I go there and I rush and so you know the, the shop assistant starts talking to me and offering help and making suggestions and I'm I'm getting all self-conscious and panicky so I'm like oh no I'm fine I can, I can do this and so I end up with a few pairs of random pairs of jeans in the change room I try them on. I'm like self-conscious about checking myself out in the mirror as I try them on and so I end up just picking one or two, paying for them, heading home and then it takes all of about 30 seconds when I get home when I'm trying them on without the pressure to know that these are not jeans that uh, I should be wearing or that I probably ever will wear. Uh, in fact I've got a couple of pairs of jeans in my cupboard upstairs where uh, I will never wear them. They I probably shouldn't wear them because uh, of how tight-fitting they are for uh, a man of my age. Uh, or also, there's a couple of pairs in there that are a particular type of blue that was retired from uh, all things reasonable back in the 80s. Not not the 80s blue that's kind of come around and is somehow cool again. It's the 80s blue that was left in the 80s because it was atrocious then and it's even more atrocious now. Uh, if that's your taste, um, I've got a pair of jeans you can have. Uh, but the, the point is, uh, I get frustrated because I haven't learned my lesson. I need new jeans now and I keep putting off going to buy them because I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm just going to add to the stack of jeans that I don't wear and I shouldn't wear uh, and I never wear. It's important uh, when you have uh, a lesson like that that you actually learn from it and that things change as a result. Uh, And where we're up to in 1 Corinthians at the moment in chapter 10, uh, Paul has a strong warning for the Corinthians Uh, There's been some positive commands. There's been some challenging words as well. Uh, We finished last chapter being told to run the race. Uh, We're going to finish chapter 10 being told to do everything for the glory of God. They're kind of like rally calls. But here in the beginning of chapter 10, we've got this warning about a lesson that the Corinthians should have learned. Uh, a lesson that Israel needed to learn, a lesson that is learned uh, from experience. And so uh, let's jump into 1 Corinthians 10 uh, from verse 1 uh, and look at this lesson for, for them, but also, I think, for us. It says... For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Paul's taking the Corinthians back to a key moment in Israel's history, a moment that they would have been familiar with. This was a moment that Israel... Uh, talked about a lot. It was central to their kind of national story and identity. It's the the moment when they were rescued from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. And so God sends the plagues on Egypt and dramatically saves them out of that. But then also, as they're being pursued by the army, parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land and come out the other side. And then the sea drowns all of the Egyptian army and they're safe and they're rescued. Uh, And in the desert, God provides for them. He gives them food from heaven. It rains down manna and they have quail and God just provides water, comes out of a rock and they have all that they need as they travel around the desert. Not to mention God himself is there. And so they're being led by a big pillar of fire and a big pillar of smoke. Uh, And what Paul wants the Corinthians to realize is uh, he repeats one word over and over and over in those first four verses. He says, all, 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 all. Everyone who was a part of Israel experienced and and received all of those blessings from God. They watched him work those miracles time and time and time again. And yet, verse 5: nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, most of them is an understatement. All of them, except for two, God was not pleased with. Only two of them ended up actually finishing the journey that they began and going into the promised land. Everyone else disappointed God to the point where in uh, Corinthians language, it says they were overthrown in the wilderness. What that means is they died in the desert. They never made it to the promised land that God had prepared. It was the generations after them that got to enjoy that blessing that God actually was ready to give to them. Uh, this is the warning. This is uh, the important uh, part that we need to focus on. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Exodus story. Uh, there's the Disney version, The Prince of Egypt, which is actually uh, pretty good and not, uh, not unhelpful. It's quite accurate. Uh, but whenever we think about the Exodus story and whenever Disney makes a movie about the Exodus story, uh, it focuses on, on God and the goodness of God and the power of God. And that's right. Because God just delivers time and time again. God is putting on a show of his power and his mercy and, uh, and even his justice on those who oppress his people. But as God puts on this show, what we get from Israel is like a, a reality show. Uh, it's a train wreck. God is just proving how patient he is. And time and time again, they just do the wrong thing. And so they get rescued. And as they get to the edge of the sea, they're like, what have you done, God? Moses, you, you let us out here just to die. And and you're like, hang on a sec. God just sent 10 amazingly powerful plagues to rescue you. And you've completely forgotten about that power that can probably intervene for you now. In fact, right now, there's a pillar of fire and cloud leading you at this point, And yet they completely forget. Uh, And then they come through the sea because God rescues them again despite their complaining and they get on the other side and they're safe and they're like, wow, that was great. And it takes all of about 10 minutes and they're like, oh, we're in the desert now, what are we going to eat? And so they start complaining against God again and there's just this grumbling. And in those next verses, it talks about how they tested God and and they whinge and it just gets worse and worse and worse and and there's sexual immorality and all sorts of things. And, And as you hear that story and as I hear that story, There's a part of me that goes, how does that happen? How do you witness firsthand these mighty acts of God and then all of a sudden forget and just revert to whinging and fearing and doubting and being unsure that God can actually do stuff and deal with the circumstances that you're facing? I mean, they walked through the Red Sea on dry land and then watched it close over their enemies And they get to the other side and think, oh, where are we going to find some food? Like that, it wouldn't enter their mind to go, God's probably got it covered. Absolutely blows me away. But that's kind of the point of this warning. I mean, if that's how you read the story as well, and if you're like me thinking those idiots, if I was there, I would have had this sorted. uh, That's why Paul is warning the Corinthians. And that's why we need to hear it today. Because overconfidence is the exact problem that Paul is addressing. It's an overconfidence that stops recognizing that everything that we have is from God, is a gift, is grace, is his mercy to us. It's an attitude that stops being thankful as a default setting because it recognizes that that we're dependent and that everything comes from God and instead focuses only what's in front, having forgotten who God is and what he's done in the past. Uh, And the key verse in this section, I think, to help us not just hear the warning, but know how to deal with the warning, uh, comes in verse 13. This is the verse that we're probably most familiar with in this passage. Uh, And in it, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, we love that verse for the way of escape, and we'll get there in a sec. But the first thing you've got to see in that verse is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common. See, the point that Paul is making, the point we need to hear is as we look back and you know maybe mock the mistakes of Israel and think that would never be me, Paul needs the Corinthians to hear and be aware that the dangers for them are the same for the Corinthians and are the same for you and me. Temptation is the same throughout the ages. There might be different avenues that it takes to come in and test us, but but the core of temptation is actually always the same. And we can see that throughout the scope of all of the Bible as well. In the beginning, when you go to Genesis 1 and Adam and Eve are being tested, what's the pattern? God has given them a beautiful place to live. They have everything they could ever need and more. And Satan wanders in and says, oh, you know, can you trust God? I mean, can, can you really trust that he's giving you the best? And he just sows the seed of doubt. And instead of looking around the garden and just being so overwhelmed with gratitude to God for what he's done, Eve begins to you know entertain the possibility that maybe God's ripping her off. And so Adam then wanders into that same, same headspace. They both take the fruit. They doubt God and they make a decision. Instead of giving him the glory he deserves for all that he's given them, they decide to take control and take credit for their position. As if somehow they can advance themselves, as somehow they can become more, they can become equal with God because they got themselves here in the first place. You see, they instead of being thankful and grateful, they reject God and they put themselves in his place. It's it's idolatry. We get to Israel and the story that uh, we're being told about here, it's the same issue. They've just been rescued. They're, they're in the desert. They're on Sinai. God has given them commandments and with those commandments promises about being his people. And they could have at that point just paused for a second and absorbed the immensity of God's generosity up to that point that everything that they were right now enjoying, including their daily deliveries of food was a gift from God for which he deserved praise and thanks and glory and all of the credit. And instead they took it as an opportunity to just presume, yep, yeah, we've got this well done us and start looking at what's in front and start whinging about what God hadn't done yet. Not recognizing that what he'd already done was proof that he was going to deliver on his future promises. Instead of giving him credit, they took the credit, they rejected him, and they replaced him. They replaced him with a golden calf, they replaced him with pleasure. It talks about them sitting down to eat and drink and then getting up to play, meaning that instead of recognizing things as a gift from God, they went, Hey, this is ours. We can do whatever we want with it. Let's, you know, sexual immorality flows, idolatry flows. They're bowing down, they're breaking the very commandments that God has only just given them as a way of living in the gifts that He's given them. Now, the Corinthians are struggling with the exact same issue. They've been forgiven. They've been set free. God has provided for them. And instead of recognizing that freedom as an opportunity to love and serve others, they've turned it into a, a reason to demand their rights. That Instead of thanking God for what they've got, they've started defending what they've got as if they fought for it and earned it in the first place. Instead of worshipping him as he deserves, they've actually elevated themselves and began to worship themselves as idols. They began to bow down to other gods because they've stopped thanking the God for providing the things that they have. And so the gap there, we discover, the reason they end up in idolatry, the warning for us Uh, is nicely summarized in Romans chapter 1, which is a a key passage in understanding the pattern of sin and temptation. And I just want to read uh, a couple of verses. This is from Romans 1 verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, this is talking about the people who've rejected Him and have no excuse and brought judgment on themselves. It says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Did you catch the really simple but so important problem? They failed to give him the glory that he deserved. They failed to give him thanks for his provision in everything. Uh, We know from the New Testament, we know from all of Scripture, that every good gift comes from above. We know that through Jesus and for Jesus and to Jesus were all things made. We know that all things exist for him. And yet the temptation for us as well right now is to stop recognizing what he has already done, uh, to stop even recognizing his hand in the moments of our lives right now, and to start worrying and feeling the need to take control rather than trust him. And that's what happens if we don't live lives of gratitude. Israel failed at that most basic point. They didn't give thanks to God, and so they stopped seeing him for who he was, stopped recognizing his faithfulness, his generosity, his provision, and instead got to a place where they started abusing things they had, started fighting for and being selfish about things they had, Uh, And sadly, they end up in a situation where instead of glorifying God, they were left in the desert and they missed out. The challenge for you and I is to actually open our eyes and recognize the fingerprints of God in the little and the big things. Open our eyes each day and remember that today is a day that we're alive in him, that we can call him father because of the work of Jesus on the cross open our eyes and recognize that we are loved incredibly and immeasurably and irreversibly and we know it for certain because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That is something worth thanking God for, not once a day, uh, but constantly. That's enough to shape all of our lives. And if we live in that posture, that will mean that when we face the moments where we might be tempted to doubt God's kindness when things are not what we want, not what we would have asked for, we have this foundation where we're already thanking God constantly. And so our vision of him, our revelation of him is so big and so loving and so kind that the temptation is powerless to dethrone the God that we know who keeps providing for us. And in the moments where we're worried that he might not be powerful because we look back to what he did in raising Jesus from the dead, because we look at the little moment-by-moment provisions of uh, sometimes apparently unimportant things like a car park when we're at the shops, but also the big things like, like food on the table. Because we're thanking him for that regularly, we're equipped for the moments of temptation and doubt when, when we might wonder, can God actually deal with something like a pandemic? We're like, he raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power, that spirit lives in us. So we're equipped for this moment to trust, to keep giving thanks, to keep rejoicing him, to keep obeying, to keep loving and to keep serving. And it all flows out of a really simple thing. Gratitude. Just not forgetting the kindness of God. Just not trying to take credit for the kindness of God, but recognizing that everything we have big and little, comes from the generous hand of a loving heavenly father. And so the encouragement in verse 13 there that we get to is that God will provide a way out in our moments of temptation. But I think the key to understanding this and the reason we go back to the Old Testament is because he doesn't provide that way out with some new provision that we need in that specific moment. He, He can, but that's not the promise I think that is being made here the promise of him providing a way out so that we can escape that temptation and we can remain faithful and we can continue to walk in the goodness of God uh, is that he has already provided the firm foundation of the gospel. For us and for the Corinthians, he has already provided for us the guarantee that says, hey, I love you and you never need doubt that. He's already given us the proof in Jesus' resurrection that one day we too will be raised with him. And so if there is anything that we don't have, it is a choice of God because it's what's best for us. And so we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to daily lift our eyes to his kindness, recognize his fingerprints in the little moments of your life, pause to pray and thank him and give him glory and praise him and and just honor him for all that he is and does for you in every day so that you are equipped for the moment of temptation. If you want to be someone who runs the race to get the prize, if you want to be someone who eats and drinks to the glory of God, this is the step you need to take first. You need to be a person who thanks God for all that he has done, all that he is doing, and all that you know he will do, because he is constant. He doesn't change. That's, the temptation is common. It doesn't change. But more amazing is that God was faithful to Israel despite their doubt and failure. God was faithful when Jesus came. He is faithful for the Corinthians if they would turn back. He is faithful for us. Even when we struggle and fail, he is constant, he is good. And so the challenge for us is to keep coming back to the hope that we have in the gospel, so that we are equipped in the moments of pandemic to recognize that God is still in control, God is still loving, and he is still worthy of thanks and praise. I want to challenge you, Melbourne West, I want to challenge you this week, I want to challenge you personally, I want to challenge you together. This week in the big and the small, give thanks to God. Recognize that everything comes for him. And when you do that, the result will be that in the big and the small, in everything, he will get the glory he deserves and you will be equipped to stand firm no matter what Satan might throw at you. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me that we would be people that give him thanks and praise in such a way that he gets glory, he shines brighter, and we get the joy and security and satisfaction uh, of walking in step with the Spirit of God leading us in our lives. And so let's pray uh, and ask God to do that work. Uh, Father, we just want to thank and honour you uh, for your incredible mercy and grace to us. We want to acknowledge that so often we are quick to take credit for the things that are going well in our lives and to blame you when things don't work. Uh, We want to confess that uh, we have uh, stolen your glory. We have directed it uh, towards lesser things and things that do not deserve it. Uh, And we want to ask that you would forgive us. And we want to ask that you would lift our eyes, open our eyes to recognize your fingerprints and your kindness to us uh, in the big and the small things, in the relationships you give us, in the provision of food and jobs, in health, uh, God, and uh, above all those things, in a hope for more than this life. God, I pray that as you open our eyes to that, that we might be strengthened and equipped to stand firm no matter the temptation. I pray that as you open our eyes to that, as we give you the praise you deserve, that a world around us would see in us an immovable hope, would see a joy that is not shaken by circumstance, uh, would see a confidence and a trust that is found only in a loving Heavenly Father. And God, I pray that you would use us uh, to draw more people to yourself. Uh, Thank you. For Jesus, thank you for a hope that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And Father, please shape us by Your Spirit that we might live lives worthy of our calling, for our joy, and for Your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. dot com dot au.